Our scripture lesson uh, is uh, taken both from the Old and the New Testament tonight. Uh, first from Ecclesiastes, chapter 5, page 767, 767, Ecclesiastes 5, verses 4 through 7. Ecclesiastes 5, verse 4, When you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it, for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed. It is better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? For in the multitude of dreams and many words, there is vanity, but fear God. And then from Matthew chapter 5, page 1116, Matthew 5, 1116, Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. Again, you have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not swear falsely, but shall perform your oaths to the Lord. But I say to you, do not swear at all, neither by heaven, for it is God's throne, nor by the earth, for it is his footstool, nor by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you swear by your head, because you cannot make one hair black, white or black. But let your yes be yes, and your no be no. For whatever is more than these is from the evil one. Thus far the reading of God's word. May he add his blessing to it. In conjunction with it, I invite you to turn to page 890 in the Pew Bible. Uh, 890, Lord's Day 36 and Lord's Day 37. Uh, Both of these deal with one commandment, the third commandment. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Lord's Day 36 on the bottom of page 890, the bottom of the first column. What is God's will for us in the third commandment? That we neither blaspheme nor misuse the name of God by cursing, perjury, or unnecessary oaths, nor share in such horrible sins by being silent bystanders. In summary, we must use the holy name of God only with reverence and awe, so that we may properly confess him, call upon him, and praise him in everything we do and say. Is blasphemy of God's name by swearing and cursing really such serious sin that God is angry also with those who do not do all they can to help prevent and forbid it? Yes, indeed. No sin is greater or provokes God's wrath more than blaspheming his name. That is why he commanded it to be punished with death. But may we swear an oath in God's name if we do it reverently? Yes, when the government demands it or when necessity requires it in order to maintain and promote truth and trustworthiness for God's glory and our neighbor's good, such oath-taking is grounded in God's word and was rightly used by saints in the Old and New Testaments. May we also swear by saints or other created things. 
No, a legitimate oath is calling upon God as the one who knows my heart to witness to the truth and to punish me if I swear falsely. No created thing is worthy of such honor. Beloved of the Lord, the third commandment is about using God's name and cautions us very strongly not to misuse or abuse God's name. But the commandment doesn't actually use the word use. It uses the word take. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. And the reason for that is because this commandment has uh, application in more than one area, or what theologians call the, the narrow fo- focus and the broad focus of the commandment. For the idea of taking God's name in the, uh, the original Hebrew word implies taking something by picking it up and carrying it. And the idea is you're not to gather up God's name, pick it up and carry it, in a way that dishonors his name. And the Bible shows that we take up God's name primarily two ways. We take it up when we speak it. We take it up on our lips. We take it up on our tongues. We, we use it in verbal speech by saying God's name. That's one way to take up and carry God's name. But the other way of taking up and carrying God's name is not the... Uh, the you actually taking it up, but God placing it on you so that you now carry it on your person. Uh, and, of course, this refers to the fact that God has placed his name on his people. His people are known by being his people, being uh, bearing his name. When you were baptized, you were baptized into the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit and uh, It was uh, as if it were emblazoned on your forehead. You now are called Christian. Uh, You have the same name as Jesus, the same title as Jesus. You, You bear that name. You carry it. And you carry it wherever you go. And either you carry it well or you carry it poorly. Either you uh, live up to that name or you abuse that name. So these are the two ways, and we want to uh, examine these two ways. First, the narrow focus of taking it up on our lips, and then uh, the broader focus of carrying it in our being and carrying it as a also as a community of people who are known as God's people. Now, the narrow focus has to do with swearing an oath in God's name. Uh, God uh, instructed uh, his people in Deuteronomy 6, verse 13, Fear the Lord your God, serve him only, and take oaths in his name. When you take an oath, Moses said, you're to take it in the name of the Lord. Now, what, what is an oath? Well, it's, it's swearing that what you're saying is true. Uh, and you call, when you swear in God's name, you say, As God is my witness... I know that God is listening to me now, and if I'm not telling you the truth, I know that God's going to punish me. Or it may also be that uh, you're making a promise, and uh, you say, I call God to to witness my promise. When uh, Jacob and his father-in-law parted company, they uh, each uh, swore an oath that they would not 
go over a certain boundary stone that they had set up either to harm the other. They promised and they they called God to witness their promise. And uh, when you make a promise and call God to witness your promise and you break your promise, then God will be angry with you. He will hold you accountable because he was a, a witness to your promise. So swearing an oath is uh, calling God to witness the truthfulness of your statement, calling God to witness the sincerity of your promise, calling upon God to do that. And when we do that, we honor God. And doing so is really an act of worship. Uh, when you uh, call upon God to uh, honor this, uh, to witness, you, you're, you're acknowledging the existence of God. You're acknowledging the fact that God is everywhere and sees everything and knows everything. And uh, you're acknowledging that God is a righteous God and a just God who will uh, reward the righteous and punish the wicked. And so we're honoring God as God when we call upon him to uh, witness the uh, truthfulness of our statements or the sincerity of our promises. Uh, in uh, early United States uh, history, uh, most states had laws that prevented atheists from giving testimony in a court of law where uh, before giving testimony you were required to Swear to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth, so help you God. And it was uh, believed that atheists, uh, though they could say those words, since they didn't believe in God, uh, couldn't really uh, be counted on or relied upon to tell the truth. If they don't believe in God, they'll lie and, and think, there's no God who's going to punish me. And since there's no God who's going to punish me, I can swear an oath in his name and doesn't mean anything. And so it was thought atheists couldn't be trusted to tell the truth. Well, those laws have mostly fallen by the wayside. And uh, uh, now uh, courts rely on uh, civil or criminal uh, punishment. If you perjure yourself, uh, you may not fear God. But if you're caught telling a lie after you swear to tell the truth, Period, uh, whether in God you say God's name or not, uh, uh, many places uh, they're not required to make reference to God anymore. Uh, but uh, if you tell a lie in court, you're warned ahead of time. If you perjure yourself, you could be held in contempt of court and you could go to jail. And uh, there may be no God to punish you, but uh, the judge here will punish you, and uh, the prosecutor will bring charges against you if you perjure yourself. So. Now, uh, that is the uh, the incentive to telling the truth. But uh, previously it was, uh, we know God is listening. And uh, God is listening and God will punish us if we uh, don't tell the truth or don't keep our promises. Uh, what this boils down to is that you should, if you take an oath, if you swear a, a promise, uh, you should take it in God's name. One of the most common uh, promises that we make that uh, where God is witness, we don't actually name God except at the beginning of the ceremony when the minister says we are gathered together in the presence of God and these witnesses to unite this man and this woman in holy matrimony. And uh, God's presence is invoked. And then you promise 
and promise to fulfill your marriage vows to each other. And because God witnesses those, God will punish you if you break them. Uh, in, Ma- in Malachi chapter 2, verse 14, the Israelites are complaining. Why doesn't God pay any attention to our prayers? Why doesn't God pay attention to our sacrifices? And the answer comes back through the prophet. Uh, uh, he says, uh, because the Lord was witness between you and the wife of your youth, to whom you have become faithless. The Lord was witness, and you've become faithless, and therefore the Lord will not listen to your prayers anymore. He was witness there. Well, you've made, if you've been married, you've made marriage vows, and the Lord is witness, and he's watching. And even the Apostle Peter in First Peter chapter 3 says, Husbands, honor your wives as co-heirs of the grace of life, so that your prayers are not hindered. It's still the case that God is witness to marriages in the New Testament as well. And if you don't treat your wife right, uh, he, God will uh, not listen to your prayers, just as he didn't listen to the prayers of the, the Israelites of old. Uh, profession of faith. Uh, we make uh, uh, vows and uh, promise to be uh, submissive uh, to the government of the church if we should become uh, delinquent in uh, our faith or in our life. And uh, God is witness to that. Parents make promises to bring up their children uh, in the faith, to teach them and cause them to be instructed in the faith. And God is witness to that because we do it in the worship service. And and therefore, uh, since uh, we have invoked the presence of God, God is witness to your profession of faith promises and to your uh, baptismal promises. When the, uh, the government... Uh, calls upon you to give testimony in a court of law or to uh, take a military oath to defend the Constitution against all enemies, foreign and domestic. Again, as Christians, we should recognize that God is witness to that and it is uh, right on those occasions for you to invoke the name of God and to say, uh, God helping me or uh, in some such reference to God to make it clear, even if you're not required to do so in our secular age, uh, you should not be afraid to make reference to that, to impress upon people that you believe in God uh, when you uh, assume church office. Uh, we're planning uh, an installation of uh, a new minister, and uh, he'll stand before you, and he'll be asked certain questions, and uh, they'll be asked to uh, promise to do certain things, and uh, he'll be doing it in the presence of God. Elders and deacons, likewise, have uh, made promises and taken vows in the presence of God. Uh, when you do this, you honor God, confessing you believe in him and that he is all-knowing and all-powerful judge of heaven and earth, and that he's righteous in all his judgments, and you're confessing to all that you know that you'll have to answer to God if you don't keep your word. Now, that's the, the narrow focus of the command. It has to do with swearing oaths before God. The broad focus is about the way you live your life. God has put his name on his people, and uh, uh, we, we carry God's name wherever we go. Israel carried God's name as a nation, for they were they were known as God's people, and they represented God to the rest of the world. Uh, in Exodus 19, verse 6, just before the Ten Commandments are given, God says to them, All the world is mine, 
And you shall be to me a kingdom of priests. Uh, Israel, not just the tribe of Levi, but the whole, all 12 tribes are to be a kingdom of priests, making known the glory of God to the nations. When Moses showed up in Egypt shortly after the burning bush, he uh, first spoke to the elders of Israel and then he spoke to Pharaoh and he said to Pharaoh, the Lord says, let my people go. And Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Who is the Lord? I don't know the Lord. And because I don't know him, I'm not going to do anything that he, he wants me to do or that you say he wants me to do. Well, it's true. He didn't know who the Lord was. But ten plagues later, he knew who the Lord was. And when his army drowned in the Red Sea, he, if he survived that, uh, knew who the Lord was. And not only did he know who the Lord was, but all the Canaanite peoples knew who the Lord was. Uh, in Judge Joshua, Joshua chapter 2, verse 10 and 11, let me just read those verses to you. This is Rahab, the harlot speaking to the two spies who she hid in her house. She says, For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for for you when you came out of Egypt, and what you did to the two kings of the Amorites who were on the other side of the Jordan, Zion and Og, whom you utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts melted, neither did there remain any more courage in anyone because of you, For the Lord your God, he is God in heaven above and on earth beneath. Everyone in the land of Canaan is melting with fear. They heard. They know who the Lord is now. That was Israel's job. Israel's job was to be a kingdom of priests, uh, a channel through which the name of God would come and be known to to the, 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 uh, the nations around them. And uh, that was their calling. Uh, They bore the name of God, and uh, through them, God's name became known. However, they didn't always do a good job. And uh, the longer they lived in the land, the more they defamed the name of God. In Ezekiel 36, verse 20 to 23, we read, But when uh, they came to the nations, wherever they came, they profaned my holy name in in that people said of them, These are the people of the Lord, and yet they had to go out of his land. But I had concern for my holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the nations to which they came. Therefore say to the house of Israel, Thus says the Lord God, It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I am about to act, but for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations to which you came. And I will vindicate the holiness of my great name, which has been profaned among the nations, and which you have profaned among them. And the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord, when through you I vindicate my holiness before their eyes. And what happened is Israel sinned. So what what did God do? Well, God raised up first uh, uh, enemies during the period of the judges who came and oppressed them. And those people who oppressed them thought, well, we're more powerful than Israel and our gods are more powerful than Israel's gods. 
uh, Nebuchadnezzar and uh, Sennacherib, first Sennacherib and then Nebuchadnezzar, they pretty much said the same thing, you know. Who is your God? Uh, you, you think your God is any different than the gods of the, of the peoples that I already uh, defeated? I defeated those peoples and I defeated their gods and I can defeat you and I can defeat your gods. But the reason that was happening was because God was using these kings to punish Israel for their sins. So through the sins of the people, God's name is being profaned by the pagan kings. Well, the glorious good news is God says, I'm going to act. I'm going to act to vindicate my name before the nations. I'm going to act and do a glorious thing. I'm going to restore my people. And of course, the restoration of his people was not just the restoration after 70 years of captivity, but the, the restoration that comes when, when Christ comes and says the kingdom is now here and, and announces the coming of the kingdom and the age of the pouring out of the Spirit and the growth of the church in the world, showing forth to the world that, that God is a God of great glory, not only the creator of the heavens and the earth, but the savior of sinners who uh, uh, shows mercy to the undeserving and uh, receives all who call upon him in truth. Uh, through the church, God's name is being vindicated today. And so we're called to uh, to live lives before the world. We too are a, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And uh, we must live such lives before the world so that they see our good works and give praise to our Father in heaven. Uh, the last stanza of uh, May the Mind of Christ our Savior uh, says, uh, Let the glory of Christ be on me uh, so that the world can see, but let them forget the channel and have their eyes fixed on Christ. And the, the channel is me. I'm the channel or you're the channel through which the knowledge of God goes uh, to the nations. Uh, we want them to, to see Christ in us, but they want then what we pray, uh, forget us and, and keep their eyes fixed on Christ. Uh, and uh, that's our calling in the world today, is to uh, not abuse the name of God, not to live vain, empty lives, meaningless lives, but to uh, live lives that show forth the praise of our great God and Savior. Now, the requirement of this is don't abuse God's name. Don't take it up in vain. And uh, uh, Leviticus 19 says, You shall not swear by my name falsely, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. False swearing is profaning. That's one way. You, in regard to the narrow focus, if you uh, take a vow in the presence of God, like your marriage vow, and then you're unfaithful in, uh, in keeping that, you profane God's name. And uh, that's what it is uh, uh Condemning, And likewise, if you bear God's name, and every one of you who has been baptized uh, bears God's name, if you live vain, empty lives, meaningless lives, lives of self-centeredness and sin, rather than lives uh, no longer for yourself, but living for him who gave himself for you, offering your life as a living sacrifice, uh, if, if you uh, don't do that, then uh, you are profaning God's name that you bear. The Catechism mentions particular types of uh, swearing, cursing, uh, which is expressing, uh, expressed in two slightly different ways. You can curse by uttering God's name without reverence and respect. Uh, sometimes uh, people uh, will say, 
Jesus's name or God's name uh, when they uh, hit their thumb with a hammer as a uh, protest against his uh, providence. Uh, it's not said with reverence and respect, but uh, an angry accusation against God. And that's cursing. And we shouldn't uh, use God's name that way. Sometimes uh, people uh, utter God's name in excitement. Uh, uh, the expression, oh, my God, uh, repeated over and over again when uh, somebody wins the lottery, you know, or something like that. And again, uh, it's uh, not uttered with reverence and respect. It's not really a prayer. Uh, the other way of uh, doing it is uh, oftentimes uh, people will call upon God to damn someone. Uh, and I'm sure you've uh, heard uh, that kind of expression. And that is really an insult to God because you're putting yourself in the place of God. Uh, you know, you're supposed to pray for your enemies and bless those who curse you. And uh, God says, vengeance is mine, I'll repay. But then uh, we sometimes get angry at people and we say, uh, you're worthy of the damnation of God and I hope he, he damns you. And, and uh, we'll say that, uh, God damn you. And uh, that, saying that is wrong. Uh, Saying it at someone and meaning it uh, is uh, is wrong because you're putting yourself in the place of God. You're taking vengeance into your own hands. You're deciding you know well enough what's in that person's heart and uh, what his future is that uh, you think you can condemn him to hell forever. Uh, and that, too, is uh, an abuse of God's name that we ought not to be involved in. Perjury, of course, uh, lying under oath is an abuse of God's name. And then the catechism says unnecessary oaths. And that's really what uh, the author of, of uh, Proverbs is, or excuse me, Ecclesiastes uh, is saying uh, when he says uh, it's better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Uh, we we uh, shouldn't take uh, oaths. I, I, in this regard, I think of uh, the fact that there are some motivational Speakers who go around to Christian high schools to speak on the issue of uh, abstinence from sexual uh, immorality. And they promote abstinence by uh, a, a, a motto saying, take the pledge, take the pledge. And, and young people are uh, invited to uh, sign a pledge card and make a promise to keep themselves sexually pure and uh, save themselves for marriage. Uh, well, what you're basically doing there is making a promise not to sin. And making a promise not to sin is a foolish, rash vow. You should never make such a, a vow. We, we don't ask our young people when they make profession of faith to make such a promise. Uh, you look at the third question that we ask them and we say, do you desire to lead a godly life? Tell us, do you desire that? We don't say, do you promise to lead a godly life? Because if we ask them to promise to lead a godly life, you know that every one of us sins every day. We do ungodly things all the time. And, and, and if you, if you vow, not to sin, and then you sin, you're worse than if you never vowed at all. And so we need to be careful of these rash vows, these uh, unnecessary vows, uh, promising to do something that we're incapable of doing. Now, certainly young people ought to desire very much to 
save themselves sexually for marriage. Uh, that should be your desire, and you should pray for the strength to do that all the time. But, but don't uh, fall into the trap of uh, then making a promise that you're absolutely going to do it. And uh, then, uh, uh, because you can break that promise just in your head without even uh, being physically involved with anyone. Uh, you look at a woman or look at a man with lust and you've committed adultery in your heart. And so uh, we need to uh, be careful not to take these rash vows. And uh, there are other vows that people take for self-improvement programs as uh, psychological motivators. You know, they, they have the appearance of wisdom, but they have no power to restrain the, uh, the sinful nature, as Paul uh, warns in Colossians 2. And then there are uh, oaths sworn in the name of something other than God. Uh, Jesus is dealing with that in Matthew 5, the practice of swearing by the altar or by the gift on the altar or swearing by the hair of your head and so forth. And uh, the Pharisees had all kinds of uh, uh, rules and regulations about swearing oaths. They knew that swearing in God's name could get them in trouble. So they said, well, we just won't say God's name. We won't say it at all. They wouldn't pronounce God's name. They forgot that they also bore God's name in their very person. Uh, as God's people, but uh, as far as pronouncing it, they wouldn't pronounce it. And so if they'd swear, they'd swear by the temple, or they'd swear by the gold of the temple, or swear by the altar, or the gold of the altar, and so forth. And and the catechism reminds us, you know, Moses said, if you're going to swear an oath, swear it in God's name, because uh, no created thing has the uh, that power. Uh, when I was growing up, I would uh, hear people who would uh, uh, say, uh, I swear it's the gospel truth. Or they would say, uh, may lightning strike me dead if I'm not telling the truth. Well, Jesus is saying, you know, if you're known as a person of, uh, of good reputation, if you're a person of good reputation and your reputation is that you always tell the truth and that your yes means yes and your no means no, there's no need to, to swear by the gospel or say, may the lightning strike me dead. The only people who have to do that are people who tell a story and people look at them incredulously. Yeah, yeah, that's another one of your stories. We know you. You're always telling stories, you know. And No, 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 I swear, I swear it's the truth. You know, it's the gospel truth. It's because they have a reputation as liars that they have to do that sort of thing. And, and God doesn't want you to be that kind of person. If, if the government calls upon you to swear an oath, swear an oath in God's name. But for the rest, in your day-to-day speech, let your yes always mean yes, let your no always mean no, and people will know you as a person of the truth, and you won't have to do anything else. Now, this commandment has a warning that God will not hold anyone guiltless who takes his name in vain. And, And it says there's no greater sin, and no sin makes God angrier. I struggled with that for a while. You know, is that really the case that that these kinds of sins really make God angry? And and he did command the death penalty for it. And he did send Israel into captivity for profaning his name and so forth. Why is this such a serious sin? Well, it's because we're misrepresenting God. And God is supposed to become known through his people. You shall be to me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation, declaring the wonderful deeds of him who brought you out of darkness into his marvelous light. But people look at us and they 
they think God is a, a, a God of hatred, a God of prejudice, a God uh, who enslaves people. You know, people do all, Christians do all sorts of things in the name or people do things in the name of Christ that misrepresent God. God gets a, a, a bad name. God gets a black eye. And as a result, people don't come to know him. And if they don't come to know him. Well, they miss the very purpose of their existence. We were created to know Him, to love Him, to serve Him, to live with Him, to be with Him, and to glorify Him and enjoy Him forever. And God has a people on earth who to, designed to bring that knowledge to the world so that the world can know, know God and, and know Him in love and know Him in, in grace and in glory. And so it frustrates God no end when we, when we blaspheme His name, either by taking it up wrongly on our lips or by living... Uh, Vain, empty lives. Uh, the very purpose for our existence is frustrated and, and the knowledge of God doesn't go. Well, uh, thanks be to God. He says, you profaned it, but I, I will uh, uh, make my name known and uh, uh, the nations will know that I am the Lord, declares the Lord. And so God, indeed, through his church, is uh, reaching out to the world and we must pray more and more that we might be that channel through whom the knowledge of God is brought to the nations. We fail. We fail every day. But thanks be to God, He has given us Jesus Christ who pays for those failures. And thanks be to God that He gives us the Spirit to strengthen us for new service and His mercies are new every morning. Amen. Let us pray. Almighty and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this commandment that teaches us to honor your name and to seek to be a blessing, uh, to bring the knowledge of your name, for in your name is salvation, to bring that name to the nations, uh, to uh, call upon the nations, to let them know the Lord reigns. He reigns in love. He reigns in power. He reigns as creator. He reigns as savior. And he's coming as judge. And maybe make that known so that the world may find salvation through faith in, in, in your name. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.